0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School.
1: This is Your Money on Business Radio.
0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, SiriusXM, channel 132, powered by the Wharton School. And Ken Smith is a professor at Wharton Campus in Philadelphia. Remember, we we are live every Tuesdays from five to six PM Eastern, and the purpose of the show is simply to help you make better decisions with your money. So you know the drill. Now it's the time to give me a call, to ask me any questions about your money here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, and you can also connect with me online by going to my website kentonmoney.com, and I have a, a list of financial advisors there who I've pre screened uh, for being. Only fee only. Remember, that's what we always want to memorize only fee only. And uh, who also agree with my approach to low cost passive index investing. Basically, lots of diversification at lower uh, administrative costs. With that, let me introduce my first guest, Leslie Tain, who is the founder and lead attorney of Tain Law Group, a debt solutions law firm with offices in Manhattan and uh, Westchester, uh, New York. Over 20 years of experience in consumer and business uh, financial debt solutions and also the author of the book Life and Debt. Uh, Welcome to the show, Leslie.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And so let's go down some, you know, I think, some really basic questions that people have. And we talk about a lot of these on, on the show, but never kind of in a com- complete listed bullet point kind of way here. And I think it's really good. Um, to, uh, it teases out in a more organized way. So uh, a very common question is, you know, should I invest money or pay down debt first? Of course, a lot of that comes down to what type of interest rate we're talking about when we're talking about debt. So uh, your thoughts?
1: If you're looking to make the decision of whether you're going to invest in, and build the savings or you're going to invest in stocks or bonds or a retirement fund and you have debt, I think you need to take a look at the uh, your budget and see what kind of funds you have available to put towards savings and paying down your debt. Ideally, you want to try to do both. So you want to try to set a percentage of your your income towards retirement or future savings or investments. And you want to be able to pay down your debt so that you have more cash flow as time goes on.
0: Sure. And I think what people really have to uh, think about is the interest rate that you're paying on debt. When you pay that off, it's like getting a risk-free return of that amount. And so a lot of times people will compare that interest rate relative to the average stock you know market return and that's really misleading because that's you know uh, an average return on the stock market that's risky uh, and here we're talking about a risk-free rate when you're paying down debt so low uh, low interest rate stuff you can kind of make the minimum payments to three percent maybe but much higher you're again getting a risk-free return uh, and so if you're talking about credit card debt that obviously is going to be pr- much higher prioritized and so then you know let's talk about um, you know we just talked a bit about about prioritizing debts, uh, there, there, but there's you know this competing view of thought in terms of you know should you interest rate uh, rank kind of your debt you know pay the highest interest rate uh, debt first making the minimum payments on all the other debt or should you do this you know, so called snowball strategy just to kind of get that psychological win how, how do you recommend that to people?
1: as far as dealing with the the snowball effect, the snowball effect really has to do with debt piling up and continuing to pile up and getting larger and larger. The reason why that happens is because the management of the debt is off, or the strategy to manage the debt is off. So what happens is people will take out a loan in order to pay off certain debts without taking a look at their budget, without taking a look at cash flow, and without taking a look really at the considerations of the overall goals and strategies to pay down debt. A lot of it has to do with your ability to pay off that. So when you start piling on more and more debt, it does have that snowball effect of debt increasing.
0: Yeah, and, and so certainly in the in the payoff of debt, you know, the, the competing you know view is that if you Interest rank them in uh, that is you you uh, basically rather the sheet of paper you know write down your your debts by interest rate with the highest interest rate ones on top you know you, you you pay off the ones the one with the highest interest rate as quickly as possible always making the minimum payments required on the other debts you know from an economics perspective that's going to be the most efficient and and paying off your debt quickest for a given dollars uh, devoted to debt payoff you know some people say you know there's uh, but you know, maybe you should rank debts by having the smallest debts on top first. And paying those off just to get kind of just a psychological win. And, you know, I, I think if you, you really need that psychological win, you're probably not working with the right financial advisor, uh, but nonetheless... Well, also, yeah, yeah, there are a lot
1: of factors with that as well, in, yeah. in the sense that, you know, you, if you're just looking at interest rate and paying things off, you're, you're sort of looking at it in a bubble. You can't just look at the interest rate. You need to look at how it's impacting your your um, credit, uh, the, yeah. um, the rate that it's being used, the type of debt that it is. So, You know, from my perspective in in managing debt for over 20 years and helping people pay off and resolve debt, you know we don't just look at the interest rate, whether the interest rate is high or low, in terms of the factors in determining to pay off debt you have to look at cash flow, you have to look at a budget and you have to look at sure. the type of debt because each type of debt is going to have a different impact. You might find the highest interest rate is really on your car or it's on your house or it's on something else that you just can't pay off right away so you know when you're looking at at options and paying off debt, one factor in considering the payoff of debt is interest
0: yeah I mean I would say I would push back a little bit, I would say it's a primary uh, factor. Because, I mean, again, this is really for the experiment where you've already de- decided how much cash to devote to debt versus saving. And we're just talking about within that cash flow of debt reduction, how should you prioritize it. But moving on, I mean, let's talk about, uh, you know, uh, sometimes people are concerned uh, about, you know, sh- could I go to jail or be arrested, for, you know, for, for my debt? And we're certainly not in don't have debtors' prisons anymore. But but what are are the facts there?
1: So there are no debtors' prison, Uh. and that's that's a myth. But the reality is that you won't go to physical jail. It's not a criminal act, but if you were to be sued, and in some states, if you don't appear, a bench warrant could be issued, and then you could be brought in under those circumstances. But as a general rule, just because you have debt and you can't pay, you will not go to jail for that. Now, you may have many other other issues with it, and you could feel like you're in a debtor's prison. You could feel like you've been arrested with your debt, and and many of my clients do, because it's very overwhelming, it's very stressful, and it does bind you, not only financially, but emotionally. So so while, again, there's no yeah. jail that you're going to go to for not paying your, your debt, it does have other implications. Oh,
0: absolutely. And, and you mentioned being being sued. I mean, is what are the types of debts that you could be, be sued uh, for? I mean, that's likely most uh, debts. I mean, we do have some states with different homestead provisions and so forth. So explain uh, uh, when you can be a sued and not sued.
1: So you can be sued over any debt. Right. The homestead provisions have to do with exemptions, you know, as far as what a creditor right. can take after you've been sued. Yeah. But as far as being sued, any single debt that's out there yeah. that where you have agreed to make a payment and you fail to make that payment, you can be sued. Right. That doesn't mean that the creditor can collect on it, but it does mean that you could be sued. Yeah. And that yeah. lawsuit can come... Uh, it can come in a local court, it can come in a state court, it can come in a lot of different ways. Again, the creditor would have to prove that you owe the money. So if you, you know, borrowed money from a relative and there was nothing in writing and they went to court, that may not hold up. But if you, for your car, you could be sued. If you don't pay it, they'll repossess it and then they could sue you for the balance owed. Yeah. Obviously, your home can go into foreclosure. That is a lawsuit. If you don't pay your credit card debt, they could, a creditor could file a lawsuit against you. It doesn't always happen, and that's not... The prevailing yeah. issue that goes along with uh, the credit and debt related issues, but you can be sued.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And indeed, and that was a good clarification. You could always be sued. Whether or not they can collect on it is, you know, a, is certainly a, a different issue. Uh, and there's also tax cons- consequences that you know, if in fact your debt is, you know, relieved, uh, there's a form for that. The IRS wants to know the that, that 1099C form. So explain that. What's kind of going on? What does the IRS need to know?
1: C, forgiveness of debt, is a form that's issued from a creditor when you have a savings or when the account has been discounted more than $600 or more. That's required to be reported not only by the creditor, but then that form comes to you And you will need to provide that to your tax preparer or if you're preparing your tax returns yourself, you need to include that. Whether there's a taxable implication to you is a completely different story. So the IRS does want to know when one creditor writes it off their books and they're getting a... um, they're getting a credit for it, then right. there's there's the other side. Well, if you're getting a credit, who's getting the debit? So the IRS does want to know that. But again, you know, that is not necessarily a deterrent to settling or resolving your debt, but you do need to work with somebody who understands what that means for you and the and any possible implications. And in some of cases
0: that. it could it could be a taxable event for the person getting debt relief, right?
1: Uh, it it might be a taxable event. You have to include it, but that doesn't mean that you will pay taxes on it. Theoretically, it could turn into a taxable event if it impacts your income level enough that it...
0: Makes that happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so again, speaking with Leslie Tain is the founder and lead attorney for Tain uh, Law Group, a uh, debt solutions law firm offices in Manhattan and Westchester uh, uh, in New York. Talking about debt relief. If you got a question about debt, you know, g- give us a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And so, let's talk about bankruptcy. I mean, a lot of times, you know, people are very hesitant about bankruptcy because they they don't uh, want to ruin their credit score for the next seven years or so? I mean, but when does it make sense to actually declare bankruptcy?
1: So bankruptcy is a a tool that can be used for debtors, individual consumers or business owners can use that as a way to help manage the debt that they have. So it's one way to do that. There are a couple different kinds of bankruptcy, and the two general types of bankruptcy that are available for consumers as a general rule are the Chapter 13, and Chapter 7. A Chapter 7 bankruptcy is where you would file and all of your debts would get wiped out. In a Chapter 13, for, again, ease of our uh, discussion, a Chapter 13 is a repayment plan where you would uh, provide a plan to pay back your creditors at a certain percentage. That percentage could be it could be 50 cents on the dollar, it could be 100 cents on the dollar. And again, there are some tests. One of them is called a means test to determine if you qualify. Bankruptcy is an extreme result of severe debt issues. There are many alternatives to bankruptcy that exist for for individuals and debtors out there. Many times they're not aware that there are other options or they're frightened about other options and don't realize that there are alternatives to bankruptcy. Bankruptcy would stay on your credit report for 10 years, not just 7 years. And that's 10 years from the Date of discharge. So if your chapter 13 hypothetically takes three to five years, that could be on your credit report almost 15
0: years. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah.
1: So there are a lot of implications to filing bankruptcy, and I would certainly consider that as an option if you're feeling like you can't pay your bills or you're really drowning or you're, you're potentially going to lose your home. Yeah. Those are tools to be used under those circumstances, but it, it's not the only tool that's out there and available if you're struggling with debt.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's certainly the case. It, 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 there's a distinction between how it adjusts your FICO score and how long it stays on your credit right uh, 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 rating for it. and it's certainly you're right it can last uh, uh, quite a bit of, of, of time on the credit report itself now let's talk about debt consolidation companies I mean uh, it's this is one of those issues I mean uh, you know even some you know advertises nonprofit and the, some of those have been you know uh, determined to be scams I mean there's a lot of uh, concern about hitting costs about them stretching out payments for for many years what's your thought? kind of debt consolidation, and then uh, you see sometimes this happens on student loans in particular, but even outside of student loans, and, and what, if one wants to pursue that direction, what are the things that uh, people should be looking at?
1: All right. So let's talk about debt consolidation. So that's a very broad term and yeah. it includes a lot of different services. Yeah. It includes loans it could include debt settlement it could include a bankruptcy theoretically a debt consolidation so i want the listeners to understand that their debt consolidation is such a broad term that all these individual type of programs could fall within debt consolidation so with that said understand that one of the things that you're talking about as far as not-for-profits are consumer credit counseling services and those services are generally not for profit but that doesn't mean that owners of not for profit companies don't earn money they they're salaried employees too and they have benefits so it doesn't mean that the company doesn't earn money it's a, it's a tax status it it also doesn't mean that because they are um, ta- that's their tax status is not for profit that they don't make mistakes or that they don't have the client's best interest in mind so and that goes for the the stereotypes that you are talking about where there have been companies, and there still are, unfortunately, companies that are out there that can take advantage of consumers. Consumers are very vulnerable when they have debt. They're scared, they're frightened, they're overwhelmed, and they're not sure who to trust. And there are a lot of companies out there that will still come along and send you mailings, uh, tons of mailings saying that you qualify or that you might have been sued and we can help you. Uh, or you might hear advertisements on the radio or television, none of that means that the company is legitimate. Those are advertising modes that companies can come in and try to... your business. But you as a consumer need to be aware of the do's and don'ts in these industries. First of all, many of them have to be licensed by the state. Here in New York, you have to be licensed if you're doing debt settlement. And debt settlement is where a company will come in and they will reduce the principal balances of your debt, including the interest. In a consumer credit counseling case, you're looking at trying to just reduce the interest rate. In a consolidation, you might be taking a number of accounts and putting it together into one, and that could include a loan. So again, as the consumer, you need to do a little bit of homework. You need to go a little bit with your gut. You need to ask questions and not necessarily feel pressured. And again, just because you received an advertisement in the mail, that doesn't mean that that company is legitimate or actually has information on you, despite the fact that it seems like they do. So... I would do my research. I would trust my gut. I would make sure they're located in the state. Make sure that they understand who you are because the other piece of the puzzle is you don't want a one-size-fits-all. Like some of these large national companies are one-size-fits-all, but that doesn't mean that they're going to look out for your tax implications, your credit implications, your personal assets. So again, as a consumer, do your research and understand that, yeah, there have been some bad apples in this business, and there are bad apples in every business. You as a consumer have to be an advocate for yourself and understand what to look for.
0: All right. And then finally, student loans, you know, making a lot of news. And sometimes it's it's uh, maybe t- too much news given the, re- the, the rate of return to uh, college education. But uh, suppose that uh, someone can't afford to pay off their student loan. Uh, we talk about sometimes the, the different options uh, uh, on this show, but kind of summarize those.
1: Sure. Student loans is a very big topic of discussion these days, and it's a very good sounding board for politicians. But I have to be honest. I mean, I'm on the front line with people with severe student loan debt, with federal loans and private loans. The first step is that you have to understand which are the two type of loans that you have. Do you have a federal loan or do you have a private loan? Because the reality is that there are two different roads that you can go down for options for managing those debts. And the truth is that you borrowed the money, you went to school, hopefully you finished, and it's it's an investment in your future, and it gave you an opportunity. Yes, you had choices, and yes, unfortunately, some of those choices are expensive, And but you took out the loan. And, and like many of us who took out loans, and I did over 20 years ago when I went to law school, I had to pay that back, and I needed to find creative ways to pay that back. And again, understanding the difference between your private loan and your federal loan will give you that. In the federal loan, there's a income-based repayments, income-sensitive, there's a forbearance or deferment, and there's the forgiveness program. With private loans, that's not the case. So you'll have many more options for repayment that is more manageable in federal loans. And remember, when you're young and you have the debt, you're building your career. As time goes on, the idea is that you can pay more and pay it off faster as you start to earn more money, and there's a graduated payment schedule. The schedule to pay back student loans is no different than taking out a mortgage on a house. It's like an amortization schedule, and that schedule in the beginning is mostly interest payments, and then as time goes on, it goes more to principal, and it eventually gets paid off. The issue today is that there's a little bit of lack of patience and individuals wanting to get it paid off, and it is a large amount of debt that gets borrowed, so it makes it very difficult to do other things when you have $250,000 of debt and you're only 28 years old. So those are the challenges. There are companies out there that help, but I'm going to tell you, with the federal loans, um, it's really not necessary, unless you truly don't understand the type of loans you have, then I would try to find an organization or a firm like my, my firm that can provide you clarification on what you have so that you have an understanding of your options, an understanding of the loans and a strategy to pay them off and pay them down. Sometimes the reality is you just can't pay them and that happens many times with the private student loans and they can go into default and once they go into default, there are options again, you need to you could and should work with somebody who's very very seasoned in the student law arena who's been around for a while and understands those. There are a lot of people these days who are popping up and saying, "Hey, I resolve my own debt, so yeah. I can help you." You know, I while I I do caution that because there are a lot of intricacies in 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 resolving debt, and the same thing goes for student loan debt. That goes for regular debt. If you settle it or resolve it for less than the full balance, you'll be issued that 1099-C. So, you know, again, you want to be able to work with somebody who's going to answer those questions, help you understand your loans, and help you with a strategy to repay them. I do understand I went through it myself. Uh, I had a huge amount of student loans when I graduated from law school. In the beginning, some of them went into default. I couldn't pay them. But eventually, as my career grew and I was able to pay them back, I resolved all of them and paid them and, you know, I'm in a different
0: place. Excellent. So, we have to end it there. Leslie, fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And you can find out more about uh, Leslie Tain uh, by going to her website, which is at Tainelaw.com. That's T-A-Y-N-E law.com. And her Twitter Twitter handle is Leslie H. Tain, as in Esquire, E-S-Q. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.